Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast dedicated to the growth and development of teamwork, leadership, and culture. My name is Greg Gregory, certified speaking professional and uh, founder of TeamsRock.com. We're excited to share with you every week guests that can share with you ideas that can help you build that teamwork, that leadership, and that culture. And we know how important all three of those are. And today joining us is an outstanding woman, an accomplished author named Karen Hurt. So Karen joins us and she helps human-centered leaders find clarity in uncertainty. And in this time, we are in the midst of uncertainty. She helps them work with drive and innovation, achieve breakthrough results. She's the founder and the CEO of Let's Grow Leaders, an international leadership development and training firm known for practical tools, leadership developments, and programs that stick. She's written award-winning books, including Courageous Cultures, which we're going to talk about today, Courageous Cultures, how to build teams of micro-innovators, and that's so important. Problem solvers, customer service advocates, winning well, a manager's guide to getting results without losing your soul. Oh, I can't wait to learn a little bit more about that one. Uh, She also hosts a popular vlog. Yes, a vlog on LinkedIn. A former Verizon wireless executive, Karen was named to Inc. Magazine's list of great leadership speakers. Karen and her husband, as well as business partner. We may get into that today, too. Uh, Dave and I are committed to help their philanthropic initiative, Winning Wells. Building clean water wells for the people of Cambodia. Karen Hurt, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is exciting. We've known each other you know, for years, and we really never sat down and talked before. And I was going through LinkedIn and I saw one of your vlogs. I saw one of your posts and I was like, we need to connect because this is exactly what the teamwork advantage is all about. So how did you get here? I mean, you didn't wake up, you know, one morning and say, I've got to be a leadership speaker and culture expert. Uh, How did you get there from Verizon wireless? How did you get there? Yeah, so I, the first, uh, so I was at Verizon for almost 20 years. Uh, the first decade was human resources, leadership development, organizational development, merger integration, everything but comp, I like to say. And then I had a senior vice president of customer service that I was working with on some merger integration efforts. And he says, so what are you going to do next in your career? And I'm like, well, I think I'll be VP of HR. And he's like, yeah, well, you could do that. Um, But if you do that, you're pretty much saying you're going to do that for the rest of your life. So what I would suggest is uh, why don't you go lead a large team? And I said, well, who's going to, what kind of team are you talking about? He's like, oh, call centers. Why don't you just lead a bunch of call centers? And I'm like, who in the world is going to take an HR person and put him in charge of, you know, 500 people in a call center? He said, I I will. And uh, so I went and led call centers for a couple of years. And then I moved over to the wireless side. So I was in the landline side and then I moved to the wireless side and I built a, a training organization over there, uh, which they really needed to pull. Training was all over the place. I need to integrate it into one organization. Get consistency. And, I'm sorry. Get consistency. Yes, exactly. 
And then um, I led a 2200 person sales organization. And then my last role there, I was leading all of our outsourced call centers. So I know you have a lot of call center people listening. It was interesting because uh, when Verizon first started selling the iPhone, uh, we ramped up all these BPOs, uh, all these outsourced call centers really, really fast. And this is why I was still in the sales role. I'm like, and uh, that was not good. You cannot um, put a, a call center up in 30 days, right? It just doesn't work. And so we were asking these uh, partners to do that very quickly. And so the customer experience was absolutely abysmal. So they pulled me out of my sales function and said, can you come fix this? And I said, well, what do you mean? And they're like, reconcile the portfolio. And like, what do you mean reconcile the portfolio? That sounds like a scene from up in the air, go fire people, right? And so I, what I said is, you know what? Here's the thing, I will take that assignment, but only if my mission can be that the customer experience will be the same no matter who takes the call. Basically, can we get these outsourced call centers to parity with internal centers? It took us three years, but we did. And what I found was I was working with all these other companies and human beings who are not Verizon employees and get it. How, how do you build a culture that they care about our customers as much as our employees cared about our customers? And how do you, how do you coach and develop people when you're in a, a tight margin company and people are on the phone all the time? And so I was finding what I was having to do is really think about leadership and really thinking about coaching and simplifying it and making it very, very practical for these centers. So one of the things I did while I was doing this was I started a blog really for those call centers. I was just, you know, oh, because I was finding myself telling the same stories and I had, you know, it was 10,000 people. I was trying to reach them. So I wrote this blog. Well, the funny thing is, which I did not expect to happen, is the blog took off and got this international following. So I started getting calls like, can you come be our keynote speaker? When are you writing your book? Can you come do consulting? And I'm like, no, <laughs> this day job, I can't do that. Well, my, one of my uh, call center vice presidents convinced me, he's like, just come do one keynote speech. And so I keynoted the International Customer Service Association conference, which he was on the board of. And uh, I got off the stage and this guy is standing there afterwards. And he says, when, when are you leaving Verizon? And I said, what do you mean? And he's like, you are totally meant to do that, this. This is what you're, you are supposed to be get, delivering this message. And I said, well, who are you? He's like, I'm Shep Hyken. I am, I am the president of the National Speakers Association. By the way, I clapped at that point because you know, but our listeners may not know, Shep is a good friend of mine as well. And he is responsible pretty much for helping me get this blog up and running. Yeah, so so Shep's like, here, here's the thing. If you want to do this, you, call me. And so he was so generous. So I, I went home and I thought about it. I'm like, gosh, what if I could do this? I have a bit of a platform. What if I did it? And, you know, I start I, my my boss is like, nobody leaves a job like you have. You're going to leave so much money. Like, Don't do this. And I'm like, I think I got to do it. And so I did, and I called Shep and uh, got a lot of help. 
And, you know, I, when I think about that first keynote speech, it was terrible, <laughs> but it was passionate. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I've worked a lot on that. And so that was eight years ago, I nine, I guess, at this point. And uh, so I created a company called Let's Grow Leaders. And we work now uh, around the world, really, on human-centered leadership and still very practical tools. You know, it's, it's interesting because Shep has had that uh, effect on so many people and getting him to do it. I assume he was also speaking at that conference. He was, he was, yeah. So yeah, he followed me apparently. <laughs> I, I, I laugh about that because, you know, I was so naive. I told the, these guys at this conference, I said, I can keynote, but only if I can be out of there by nine o'clock cause I gotta get back to work. <laughs> so that's why I was the opening. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so powerful how you get there. And then from that point on, it's just taken off. Now, today, you and David work together. So how did David get involved in this? If yeah, you do so, this pretty quickly. I mean, I want to get to some meat and potatoes about Courageous Culture. You want really the love story. Uh, you want the love story. Okay. All right. So what <laughs> happened was, uh, so I had written a, a little self-published book right as I was leaving Verizon. But then I really wanted to get serious and do, you know, a, a, a significant book, which I was thinking about writing what became winning well. Well, I went to a NSA book publishing lab. Uh, so to think about how do you publish books and uh, David Dye was there and I started to, we had known each other, uh, you know, just from the blogging space a bit, you know, mm -hmm. and at one point David had read something I had written for an HR a magazine and he thought he had written it because we were so aligned. So we had had a phone conversation or two, but we show up and I'm like, well, what book are you writing? And he describes this book. I'm like, I'm writing that book too. <laughs> so we should not both write this book, right? And why would we compete if we could collaborate? So we wrote the book together. Uh, he was living in Denver. I was living in Maryland. We were never in the same room, but we were talking and, you know, messaging pretty much all day, most days, because you know that when you're writing a book, it's an intense experience. We became extremely good friends and uh, we get through writing the book and we're starting to get ready to do book promotion stuff. And David calls me on a Saturday morning. I'll never forget. He says, uh, Karen, can I get some dating advice from you? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> and so he's like, I think this girl's kind of into me. <laughs> So anyway, what should I do? And I got really jealous and wow. I didn't know where that was coming from. I was like, so what kind of girl are you looking for? And he describes me. <laughs> and so I said, so the girl he was uh, wanting dating advice for was you. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. Oh, it wasn't. No. Uh, sorry, team. It, uh, sorry, listeners. We're going down a different path than we normally do here. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, we uh, we decided to start dating. Uh, we fell in love. We got married. We merged our businesses together, and uh, it's been perfect uh, because uh, uh, we're very are very very philosophically aligned. From uh, what we believe, from a leadership perspective, could not be more aligned. Mm -hmm. And we're very, very different in terms of our skill sets. So he does all the operations and everything for the company. He does all the tech for her because I don't you were showing me your tech. I'm like, yeah, we need to show David that because I don't do tech. And then um, and I do the marketing and, and, you know, sales and that kind of thing. So it's it's been lovely. That That's awesome. 
So talk to me a little bit. So you, you were coming out from Verizon in leadership. And then it was all, and, and again, culture is such a, an integral part. The TLC that I talk about, teamwork, leadership, culture, I picture it like as a Venn diagram with those three elements. And when they all merge together, that's, that's what we're looking for. And human-centered leadership is absolutely critical. What is it? And can you, first off, let's define courageous cultures, because what is that? That's the name of your book. Yeah. What is it? Well, so it's interesting. Our, our favorite definition of just culture comes from a Seth Godin. We were talking about authors yesterday, earlier uh, pre-show, and I am such a big fan of Seth Godin. And he says, culture is simply people like us do things like this. Love it. So in a courageous culture, people like us speak up. They share their ideas. The default is to contribute. Leaders are proactively going out and inviting people into the conversation. So it's a culture of psychological safety and the courage uh, to innovate and share new ideas. And they're not worried about somebody backstabbing and they're not worried about somebody trying to take their jobs. They're not worried about all that. Is that that's, and you see, that's the philosophy of the organization, the National Speakers Association, and that, you know, don't worry about getting a bigger piece of the pie. Let's just make the pie bigger by inviting everybody in to chat. Yes. And yes. if we can just get that going in the world. So what is it then going from a leadership aspect from Verizon? What is it about the idea of a courageous culture that inspired you? Yeah, so I have seen all kinds of leadership and sure uh, some have. of the as you have to right <laughs> and you know and i i have seen what we in chapter four call toxic courage crushers where there is shame blame intimidation where people are afraid to take risks so they just do what's always been done and so that's really experiencing some of that directly, having worked for some folks like that. Um, I worked for some great bosses at Verizon. I also, there were also some crummy ones. And I watched what it did to innovation when people were in, engaged their power in a destructive way. So, but what really got me curious about this whole concept of courageous cultures was that we were working with um, clients all over the world and we would be across a variety of industries and we would talk to the very senior levels of organizations and we would hear things like, gosh, why don't more people speak up? Why don't they share their ideas? Why am I the one that stumbles across this best practice? You know, why aren't my middle managers seeing this and raising it? Uh -huh. yeah. And then we would be doing training at the frontline supervisor level of this very same organizations. And you know where I'm headed with this. Yes. Nobody wants my ideas. The last time I spoke up, I got in trouble. Nothing ever happens anyway. And they, they get it. They get it. But here doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So are, are we working in the same organization here? So we, uh, we partner, you may know, uh, University of North Colorado Social Research Lab on an extensive research study mm -hmm. to answer the question, when people were holding back ideas, what kind of ideas were they holding back? And okay. they were not ideas like trivial kombucha in the break room or virtual taco Tuesdays. They were holding back ideas to improve the customer experience, the employee experience or productivity and process. And then we said, well, why are you holding back these ideas? And they said, well, uh, 
you know, 49% said they weren't regularly asked for their ideas. 50% said nothing will ever happen anyway, so by, why bother? 40% said they lacked the confidence to share their ideas. They were scared. Um, the weirdest one was 54% said, I don't, you just mentioned this, I worry that somebody will steal credit for my idea. I was waiting for what? that. More I was than wondering half? how high that was. <laughs> More than half? You know, so that's, uh, we, then we said, you know what, we need practical tools to make this happen. This shouldn't be this hard, right? To go out and ask yeah. for ideas, to respond to ideas when you get them. And so that's why we wrote Courageous Cultures. That's fascinating. And so the research, and again, let's run through those numbers again so that everybody kind of gets an idea on this. 54% is the one I remember, they were worried that somebody would stab them in the back. Yep. Okay. What were some of those other numbers again? And so, let's, let's you know, kind of the, dive into each one of those a little bit if we can. Yeah. So like 50% 50, 50 said nothing would ever happen. Like, I don't think anything's going to happen with my idea. Did and they have the experience with that? That they threw an idea out and nothing happened? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Dr. Amy Edmondson of Harvard, uh, she wrote The Fearless Organization. That's another great book. You're asking about okay. what leadership books are like. She wrote the foreword to Courageous Cultures. Uh, she is, uh, yeah, Thinkers 50, uh, you know, guru. Anyway, uh, she says that people are more likely to hold on to a negative experience than a positive experience, which okay. means that even if you are a human-centered leader going out and asking people for their ideas, it's likely that people have had an experience in the past that's preventing them from speaking up. So when we get back to this 50%, you know, say nothing will ever happen, what we found as we dug in underneath that from a qualitative perspective is that a lot of the times it's just that the loop wasn't being closed. So I share an idea. You may have even done something with my idea, but you don't circle back and tell me what happened. Yeah. And so, whether it could go forward or not, if it goes forward, they know, but if it doesn't, they don't know that it did, that the UE at least tried. Yes. Yes. So we, we call this uh, the need to respond with regard. So no matter if somebody brings you an idea, whether you can use it or not, you respond in the same way with gratitude, thanking them for their idea, with information, telling them what's going to happen or not happen with their idea and why, and then an invitation to continue to contribute more. And just that, you would be amazed at how, when we teach that people are like, oh yeah, I could do that better. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Now, I, I'm kind of getting ahead here and I don't want to jump too far ahead. Is that one of your seven steps? Yes. Okay. So we'll get to the seven steps. Would it be better to go to the seven steps and how they apply to those numbers? Would that be better for you? Oh, uh, we could. We could. Yeah. So, so let's look at the seven steps. So again, the book is Courageous Cultures and you've got seven steps to building a courageous culture. So... Let's All go. right. Well, so 40% of our folks said the reason they didn't share ideas was because they lacked the confidence. And so this is really gets to this whole concept of, of navigating the narrative, which is the first step, which is if you are a, a leader who wants to create a courageous culture on your team where people share ideas, it starts with you because leaders go first. Yep. How are you navigating your narrative? What is your experience with speaking up in the past? Do you have the confidence to share? Because if you're telling your team, yeah, it's fine, challenge, raise your ideas, challenge if you don't disagree, but they're watching you and you're all about the political game and you are just giving people what they want to hear, that's what they're going to watch. Yep. 
so one of the things that we do in our Courageous Cultures programs is we ask people to think about their biggest moment of courage, like reflect on a time that you did speak up and it went well. So to try to bring forward, you know, these positive experiences into people's minds. And, you know, a lot of times people's courage was, I challenged um, a bad decision. I stood up to a bully. Um, you know, I took a risk telling, sharing an idea or telling somebody I did, why I thought their idea was going to be a problem, um, even though they were in a position of authority. So that's step one, navigating the narrative. And it's interesting because a lot of what I'm hearing there can be applied in business, obviously. It can be applied in our personal lives so much as well yes. as understanding the narrative. I mean, I go back to uh, seventh, eighth grade when a project was being done and people not speaking up, me being one of them, I was afraid to speak up. And because I, I, I was, believe it or not, people, I was shy. Uh, <laughs> So the, a lot, I, I want to bring this up because there's a lot of what we talk about here that can be used in our personal lives. And I want people to recognize when something can be taken and used in that direction. Yes, ab absolutely. You know, okay. and so, so that's the first step. And then it's the second step is creating clarity. And this is clarity about two things. One clarity that you really do want people's ideas. And then this is really, really important clarity around what a good idea would accomplish. Like where do you need great ideas? So when we were out testing the tools for courageous cultures, uh, before we published the book, we would try the tools in a couple of different ways. One is just bring us any ideas to improve the business or improve our team. And the ideas were okay. But then if we said, bring us any, an idea to help with this problem and we're real specific, that putting those parameters around being specific, that's when the real innovation came up because it's mm -hmm. overwhelming for a lot of people. Just bring me any idea to improve, make our team better. Oh gosh, where do I start? Right. And that just feels like too much. Tell me um, one idea that you have that would help um, support our employees in this transition to working from home. Okay. That feels like, okay, I got, that, I that's gotta... manageable. So now they can get into the focus point on that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that this really gets to the creating clarity that you want people's ideas gets to that 49% of mm -hmm. I'm not regularly asked for my ideas. So we talk about um, needing to create clarity around strategically where you're headed. So people bring you ideas that are aligned with where you need ideas. We talk about um, creating clarity of do people really get it? So we talk about five by five communication for anything that's really important. If so, if you know, if you're communicating your strategy or shift in direction, you want to communicate it that five times, five different ways, because okay. if you just okay. do that in a offsite meeting or in an email, it's not enough. And uh, so that's a, a really practical thing that people can do when they're trying to get people to understand their strategy is, are you engaging in five by five communication? So that's the second step. And then, and I'll just, I'll do the top four because those first four, those are the ones that any team can do is, is then it's, um, so cultivating curiosity. And this is how do you proactively go out and ask for ideas? Yeah. And okay. so, you know, asking a courageous question, a, you know, a specific and humble question that you're really willing to listen to the answer to, or, um, we have a own the ugly technique. You'll see, I love the acronyms. Wait, wait, say, say that one again. Only ugly. Only ugly. 
own the ugly. So, oh, own. Okay. Own. own the ugly. O-W-N. Okay. Not only the ugly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's four questions that you can ask. So okay. with regard to wherever you need a great idea. So let's say with regard to, you know, um, being more productive while we're working from home, you, what are we underestimating? What maybe we have not thought about this? You're laughing because there's so many things we probably underestimate. Well, it, right? it is. And my brain is like four steps up right now because <laughs> it, it keep going because I'm, I'm going to bring something back here that's going to tie this together for a okay. lot of folks. Too, okay. G, what's got to go? What do we need to stop doing? L, where are we losing? Where are we losing to the competition? Where are we losing maybe where our performance used to be good, but it's not? Mm -hmm. And then my favorite, which is all about chapter six, which is where are we missing the yes? And where there is a whole different way of potentially looking at this. And in chapter six, I tell this massive turnaround story of my sales team where we had to think about things from by stop focusing on this market and shift to that market. And that led to incredible sales. Now, it's interesting because I do a lot around uh, create, advance, refine, and execute. Okay. And I talk about people are creative, teams are innovative. And when you tie that together, that's exactly what you're doing right now. We've gotten the idea, we're asking for the idea, we're even, now we're going to advance that idea about, okay, how's it going to work? And then now you're refining that idea by what are we missing? Yes. And there are some people who will come up with great ideas on what you're missing, but they won't have ideas on what to do. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I that's great because sometimes those people who come up with what are we missing are viewed as naysayers within a team. Yeah. So how do you make it so and how do you teach them critical thinking mm -hmm. you know, with some of these so that they can share their ideas? You know, one, so one, one thing we teach is another acronym, um, idea and our idea model, which is helping people position their ideas. So because people sometimes say, I'm scared to share my idea. OK, 40 percent. So they lack the confidence, right? Well, if you went to your boss and said, I have an idea that would really I think would really make a difference. Would you like to hear it? They're going to say yes. I, here's why this idea is interesting, meaning here's why it's strategically aligned with where we're headed, why you need to hear this idea. D, this is why it's doable. This is why I think we could actually pull this off. E, is, is it engaging? Here's who else I think might think this is a good idea. I checked with HR, I checked with finance, stakeholder, teaching your people to think about stakeholdering. And then A, actions. Here's what I recommend are our first couple key actions or next steps. And so if you went to anyone, if you went to a senior manager, if you went to your boss and you say, I really care about the business, I have an idea, here's why it's interesting, doable, here's who else I've talked to about it, engaging, here's A, a couple of key next steps. The worst thing that could happen is they're going to say no, but they're going to think that you are someone who cares deeply about the business and is a critical thing. And you've thought about it. Right. You've actually taken the time to think and present something in a logical manner. Yes, yes. So if you are an individual contributor listening to this podcast, this is a great way for you to frame your ideas. Awesome. Wow. Okay. So we've covered steps one, two, three, and four. So four is responding with regard, which I mentioned earlier. Okay. So that's, you know, what do you do with an idea? How do you respond with gratitude, information, and an invitation? And those first four 
are ones that can be done at any level, right? At any level, whether you are leading a, you know, a three person team or whether you are leading a whole company. Um, the, the other three are more systemic, uh, which is uh, one is uh, we call practice the principle, which is how do you, if you've got an idea that works in West Virginia, how do you take the nugget of that idea and figure out how it's gonna work in New York City? Because one of the mistakes that we see people make is they're like, they hear a best practice. Now everybody should do this thing and it doesn't work everywhere. Exactly like that, right? Yeah. yeah. And so then uh, galvanizing the genius, how do you then take, uh, take these concepts and spread them through your whole organization? And then the last one is building an infrastructure for courage. And it, this is so, this is working with your HR team. Like, how do you onboard people to build a courageous culture? How do you interview people? What is your rewards and recognition systems? And we are in the middle of a really exciting project with Nestle in Switzerland, actually, where they're actually letting us um, go deep with their senior HR team to look at all those things. There's they're working to build a courageous culture, you know, in, in integrating some of the concepts and tools. And they're also, we just looked at all their interviewing questions and said, are we, are we really doing this or do we need to, to sandpaper some of these, mm -hmm. which is really fun. All right. So let's recap these, if you can, just the, the, the synopsis of the seven steps to a courageous culture. Okay. So we just give them one at a time and just recap it. Navigate the narrative, create clarity, cultivate curiosity, uh, respond with regard, uh, practice the principle, galvanize the genius and build an infrastructure for courage. Folks, I just want to tell it right now. The book is called Courageous Cultures and it can be picked up Amazon, bookstores, wherever. Um, I'm assuming it's available on Kindle and everything. Yep. And audiobook. We've actually got to read it ourselves. Which Whoa, is <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And we were talking before the show. I'm an audiobook person. So that's that's phenomenal. What have you learned when you take courageous cultures to an organization and you sit down with a mid-level manager? Maybe you go in, do you ever go in at a mid-level manager level? Sure. So what have you learned as you start to implement this and train them on this? What, what's some of the things that you've learned that have worked some of the things that have not worked in some of these companies yeah so I, as i mentioned earlier the one thing i think the, that managers when they tell me that their team is not uh, critical thinkers most of the time people don't have enough strategic information to think critically like they don't get it okay. so you know you've been thinking about your strategy you understand your deeply all the the challenges and then you say bring me ideas well they're just catching up so one of the things is that you really make sure, have you really, do people understand who your customers are, what they want, where you're headed strategically and spend time on that clarity phase. Okay. I think that's really, really important. And the other thing I would say is uh, people sometimes get frustrated at the middle management level and say, well, we don't have a courageous culture, so it's not going to work here because who am I? I'm not CEO. And, you know, so thinking about, we talk about this in the book about building a cultural oasis. Who can you influence? Where do you, how do you create psychological safety on your team? How do you show Even up? Even if that team's only five or six people. Yeah. How do you show up with your peers? 
Uh, how are you helping your team understand the strategy? How are you inviting them in to share their ideas? Are you responding with regard? So, you know, you don't need to go out and send your CEO a copy of Courageous Cultures and say, we should do this. Just start with your team. And when the results improve, which they will, if you do these things, mm -hmm. um, then people will say, what, what's going on? What are you, what are you doing? And yeah. you're like, well, we're, we're doing this. You know, we're, we're including people and, and, sh and sharing their rights. And that is how it spreads. And so I want to take this and tie it back to you. Okay. I want to go back to the very beginning of our podcast. You were talking about how you were working at Verizon. And then you finally got asked to do a keynote. You didn't think you could do the keynote. You get out there, you do the keynote, and there's Shep Hyken standing at the stage. And next thing you know, you're starting to build it out. And then you didn't go out there to start to influence the world. You went out there to try and do something that would influence a few people. And then from that few people, it began to go. That's the same thing that you're talking about here with a small team. That's exactly right. I hadn't thought about it just like that, but you're right. Yeah. <laughs> That's taking that small team. It's the same thing that you did. It's the same thing that I did. Okay. I don't go out there to try and change the world. I go out there because I enjoy working with small teams and work those small teams. And as I work with the small teams, then you start to get into the C-suites. And that's, that's so powerful for everybody to understand. I'm going to go back to somebody that I know you know or knew as well as I did, Zig Ziglar. Yeah. And Zig used to use a term that said, inch by inch, things are a cinch. Try it by the mile, it will be a trial. And that is so apropos because when we work with our teams from our small teams, five, six people begin to build, you make difference. One other manager says recognizes that, then they start to do the same thing. So they, it starts to spread. Yes. And that's that's what I call the positive snowball effect. Yes. Over the years, what has changed? Okay. Now we've been in the pandemic for a while. And we're getting near the end of our time here today, but I want to find out what's changed in the last, you know, five years. And then even in the last 18 to 24 months because of the pandemic. What's changed for companies for what, what, what well, what's changed in the way that what's changing in the term of courageous cultures. Oh, it, that's interesting. Or how you but... get there. Are there things that have changed about the delivery about how teams are working today? Yes, I think that this, it was interesting because of course I panicked when uh, we were going to release our book right in the middle of a pandemic and all of the keynotes where I'm going to sell books and book were canceled, right? Yep. So, but as it turns out, I do not think the timing could have been any better. And this is why no one knew how to lead well during a pandemic like this it had been a really yeah. long time hasn't happened was a lot... since the 1912 <laughs> right and the world was a lot different then you they know didn't have, and... they, didn't have, they didn't have televisions they didn't have internet they didn't have anything yeah and so we watched as companies did one of two things and i'm oversimplifying but you know, there were there were the managers who and senior leaders are like, all right, I, I know exactly what we're going to do. Follow me. And then there were the confident yet humble executives who went out and said, here's the thing. I don't know exactly what's going to happen next, and I don't know exactly what we're going to do, but I do believe in this team. And I know we're up to the challenge. So 
bring me your ideas and let's figure this out together. Now, you could have one person thinking about things or you could have your entire company thinking about things. Who do you think has the competitive advantage in that arena? Yeah, Wilbur Rudolph said, regardless of what I did in life, someone else helped me. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's so powerful when we think about that. Um, what would you say to a leader today who says, whatever happened to leading from the stick? You know, this stuff of leading with a carrot and everything just doesn't work. What would you say to that leader today who is so adamant to say, discipline, discipline, and all that, as opposed to the human-centered, the courageous culture aspect? You know, uh, we, we talk about landing in the end. And, uh, you know, the, it's, it's not either accountability or human-centered. It's not confidence or humility. It's how do you land in the end? How do you, in any situation, show up with confidence to have an audacious vision, confidence to speak the truth, confidence to stand up for what matters, and the humility to surround yourself with people who will challenge you to know your vulnerabilities, to admit when you're wrong, coupled with a focus on results and relationships, results setting clear expectations, holding people accountable to those expectations, and then relationships fostering collaboration up, down, and sideways, getting to know your people as human beings. It's that landing in the and. So you don't have to, if, if you are someone who has a vision and clear expectations and knows how to hold people accountable, mm -hmm. good, because you need all those things. Now, how do you develop this other side? Because you will find that when you can balance it and land in the end, that is when you are going to really build high-performing teams, retain the employees, and create a culture that people want to join. That's powerful. It's the yin to the yang. It's so powerful. Karen, you know me, and I, I could go on talking about this for another, I don't know, day or two. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to hopefully get you back, you know, somewhere down the line, see how things have changed, what's happened. Uh, maybe a, a take two on some of the topics of what we're going into, maybe a little bit more in depth. Um, but I really thank you. So the name of your book again is Courageous Cultures. That's the new one. But yeah. you've also got the other one was called Winning Well. Winning no, Well. Winning Well. And t tell us just a little bit in a few seconds about your philanthropic ways and the wells in Cambodia. Okay, so um, we, it was funny, we, were, we were, wanted to have a, uh, a philanthropic leg to the business. And we were talking with Scott Friedman. Do you know Scott from NSA? Yes. yes. And you know, he runs oh, the, Scott's um, wonderful. Together We Can Change the World. And we we're talking to him and he was like, yeah, well, we do this, we do that. And we build wells and we had just launched Winning Well. I'm like, Winning Wells, we could build Winning Wells. So uh, we, if, if, when we engage with a keynote, you know, if someone hires us to do a keynote or a training program, we build a well in their name. And, you know, and so uh, that has been amazing. I think we're at 120 wells since we've started. Uh, we, so they're in Cambodia, they're clean water for these, these communities. We had an opportunity to go uh, visit uh, some of these wells. Scott took us out. Uh, we took an oxen cart to visit them. And uh, the impact that those, those you know, are having on the health and the wealth of these communities. And it's a simple investment, but it could really make a big difference in the lives of the community. Okay, awesome. Glad to hear about that. That that's exciting. I love hearing when people are giving something back and not just taking. It goes back to uh, 
Dr. Stephen Covey and the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People with the bank accounts and being able to build and give and do things. Um, your vlog on uh, LinkedIn is called? Asking for a Friend. Sure, right. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Asking for a Friend. And that's on LinkedIn. So how do we find you on LinkedIn? Uh, so uh, I'm Karen with an I. So Karen Hurt, H-U-R-T. Uh, would love to. I have uh, Whitney Johnson is going to be uh, my guest on Friday live at 1130. So that oh, that's will air after that. But you can watch the recording. I, I interview a number of authors, thought leaders. It's, it's a lot of fun. Cool. I'm excited to catch up on some more of those, uh, those vlogs along the way. Folks, uh, reach out to her. Join her. Follow her on LinkedIn. Uh, at Karen, K-A-R-I-N-H-U-R-T. And she'll be glad to help you out there. Got some great ideas for your teams. I'd like to thank everybody uh, for listening today. Karen, thank you for joining us on the Teamwork Advantage. Oh, it's been absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much. You know, folks, once a week with the Teamwork Advantage, you get skills and ideas that you can act on immediately. And Karen gave us today four things out of her courageous cultures that you can act on today with your team. So please, Take your time, go back and listen and revisit them. Until next week, remember, having a good day is just being average. By listening to the Teamwork Advantage, we know that you are not average. So go make today an excellent and exceptional day. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.